Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. My name is Dave Hanready. Happy post St. Patrick's Day. This is no encore. There will be no encore. That's what it is. I'm all, I'm all, you know, kerfuffled, discombobulated because Craig is not here with me for episode 262 of the No Encore podcast on the Heads of Podcast Network. But in his place, freelance music journalist extraordinaire, the number one sub off the No Encore co-host bench, we welcome back Zara Hederman. Hello. How are you? Hi, David. Uh, 262 has some nice symmetry to it, doesn't it? It's, very it's pretty nice. good, yeah. yeah Rolls I like off that. the tongue, you know. Yeah. It's good stuff. I'm not much of a maths person, but um, I do like that. I, d- I love how it looks on the page. Um, and I realise that that intro is probably as riveting as your and Craig's one from last week of your suburban tales. Well, we try our best. Uh, how have you been? How the hell have you been? You've been on the show since Christmas. We got you yeah. back at last. You've been very busy, of course, doing lots of music things. Tell us all about it. Where can people find you and all that kind of jazz? Um, I've been good. Thanks, David. Um, haven't seen you in so long. Um, we're, that's because we're obeying the rules, you know? Yeah, we're good people. Um, yeah, I've been good. been busy. Uh, this month has been particularly busy, so I'm... Um, Feeling a little fatigued at the moment. This week in particular was quite busy. Uh, all because as well, aside from doing some work, I did a rewatch of season one of True Detective, which was 
amazing uh, I forgot how great that season one was but anyway I digress uh, you can find me I guess just on Twitter um, I write for places like The Quietest Loud and Quiet do her bits on Arena sometimes show up here when I'm invited on occasion so, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. Well, how patriotic are you feeling is probably a, a, a more pertinent question I could ask you because on this episode, our top five this week, in the glow, the afterglow of St. Patrick's Day, it's time for our uh, best and worst songs about Ireland. So there's no album review this week because we figured why review a Rob Zombie record? There wasn't really a lot happening out there in the world, but there was Paddy's Day. Did you did you celebrate accordingly? You know, is it, like, is it, is it a special occasion for you, Zara? Um, I would be pretty patriotic um i love ireland i love being from ireland i love a lot of irish artists and bands um wouldn't want to be from anywhere else as they say um i didn't do anything too exciting yesterday i was working pretty much all day and took a break for a nice traditional and patriotic patriotic fish and chips well, it what should be noted, uh, I, 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 I had some kind of legal, legal pints and they were very nice, but you know, mm-hmm. from the safety of my own home, such is the way we are now, you know? Anyway, look, listen, we won't get bogged down in all that. It's all about music this week. It should be noted that in that top five, it's best and worst. Zara will be on the best, so she'll be taking us through, I guess, her five shouts for the best songs about Ireland. You know, like it's pretty lofty territory. As for me, I'm on worst, where I belong. And it should be said, I'm very excited about this top five, which we will get to after the news. Um, some absolute gems, which I've had in my locker for days, wanting to tell the entire world, wanting to do the podcast early, but I was patient. And I should note, before we get going, from patriotism to Patreon, that's where you can Ooh. find us. Patreon.com slash noencore. If you would like to throw us the price of a legal deliverable pint, you know, you can do that. And in return, you'll get bonus episodes. You'll get episode previews, playlists, and of course, our undying green-blooded love so uh, Zara is a patron here or a patron so uh, you can attest to just to just how important it is to keep this show on the road um all right speaking of keeping on the road let's get to the news it's news time hit that sting adam hey you heard about the good news and it was good news for kanye west of course at the grammys i think it was the 63rd annual grammys he won the most important award of the night in the form of best contemporary christian music album for jesus is king uh you will recall about seven months ago or so kanye put up a video on twitter of him urinating on a grammy but i guess forgiveness didn't did, did in fact prove to be you know like in line with the record and he walked away with that gong the grammys took place last sunday um it's interesting how quickly it disappears from the news agenda if it's there at all but there were lots of big winners uh i guess where to even start i guess i'll start with the obvious zara did you yes. watch any of this did, I, I can't imagine you stayed up to, to watch it live or anything who, who would do such a thing but did you pay much attention to this even outside of you know the auspices of doing this show this week mm. um i have to say no um the Grammys has just never been one that has really excited me or engaged me entirely. Um, I don't know if it's just like growing up in the kind of MTV catchment of I would get a lot more excited and definitely would sit down and watch all of the MTV like VMA and EMA awards. Um, Grammys though, I just prefer to go through the lists as opposed to ju- to watching the whole thing through and through I find the same with the Oscars it just goes on for so long there's so many awards um, 
And I guess now in the age of kind of the digital age, if you will, um, it's just easier to kind of feel as though you've watched it all through snippets and the highlights. Um, what about you? Did you watch it? Uh, no, I didn't. No. <laughs> I mean, I saw it going down on social media. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, like there are, there are so many of them. There's 84 awards, which is chaotic. Mm. And I mean, like, it's, it's just, I don't know. I mean, like the ratings were down this year. We can talk about that after we go mm. through the, you know, a bit of a summary of, of the awards. I guess they're important in terms of if you are paying attention to the music world, if you are listening to a music podcast, for example, you probably have some vague interest in who won what and what does it mean? Um, but yeah, it was kind of like taking place on, you know, I mean, it was early evening Sunday over here when they started to roll out the awards. I think a lot of people, of course, of an Irish nature, were very curious to see what would happen when Fontaine's DC faced off in the best rock album category against The Strokes, Brittany Howard, I believe, uh, Sturgill Simpson, and I honestly don't remember who else. I'm sorry, bad podcasting on, on my behalf. But the point is, The Strokes won uh, mm. their first ever Grammy, and apparently it was their first ever nomination, which I still keep waiting to find out is wrong, because it surely doesn't make sense. But on the Grammy yeah. website, like it, it's their first ever nomination. They've been ignored before not recognised, and now they won for the new Abnormal. Uh, so Fontaine's didn't win. Uh, I was on Today FM on The Last Word during the week, and I was making the point that, ultimately, for the Fontaines, I think this is totally fine. The nomination is huge for an Irish act. It's rare that it happens, and they can carry that momentum. What was your reaction to that one? Were you gutted? Did it matter to you whatsoever? Uh, no, I didn't care at all. Um I mean, I'm obviously not going to be like, I was delighted that they didn't win. I think that's pretty vitriolic, even if you don't like the band. Um, you always kind of wish the best for, especially like an Irish artist. Um, I definitely don't think it was a, it would have been a deserving album anyway. Um, I was surprised that, I was surprised that both the strokes had been snubbed up to this point. That seems absolutely wild, especially considering that like, even though they have that kind of like grungy aesthetic, they're still a very uh, clean and marketable band that you would imagine the Grammys would pick up on. And also they're like, you know, incredibly affluent too. So it's kind of strange that uh, an organisation like the Grammys has taken like 20 years to recognise them as so. Um, uh, so yeah, that I'm, that like them winning again that's fine I'm like I'm not too jazzed either way about it um but yeah it's a funny one because I don't know I guess I guess as well the Grammys in the last couple of years seem to be losing more and more credibility especially with artists say like Drake and now this year the weekend saying that they were going to um resign isn't the right word but uh, withdraw um from having their music um being suggested for even being nominated um so I guess that's actually quite an interesting side kind of story to it and I think it kind of also just permeates the kind of disinterest that like people are going to have um and even just the kind of um credit then that the winners do get it's just like <clears throat> well what do these awards actually mean who is actually picking them so yeah there is yeah you make the point there is something of a kind of a quiet rebellion forming mm -hmm. the likes of the weekend as you mentioned Tyler the creator Lil Wayne openly tweeting out to saying like fuck the Grammys they're not alone and yeah I mean like it's a stodgy organization it's like the Oscars you know it takes time to affect change um you you know you say like you know you wouldn't cheer on a, a Fontaine's loss or anything you know because that would be just too vindictive but 
you were on the show around Christmas time saying that you weren't a big fan of Phoebe Bridges. She won <laughs> nothing. And that was a bit of a shock, I thought. I thought she would have won something. I yeah. guess the, the big one that she was up for, uh, she up for a few awards, but like Best New Artist was kind of the hotly contested one, which mm. went to Megan The Stallion. Uh, Megan The Stallion, who lost out on Record of the Year, though, to Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish was so shocked that she just couldn't stop apologising and thanking <laughs> Megan The Stallion, who was there in a very awkward kind of scene, which raises the question, like, I mean, should Billie Eilish have, like, done a Ving Rames and just been like, here, take the award? Is that not how it works? Does it matter? Mm. Um, yeah, Phoebe Bridgers, Elton John, said that if she didn't win one he would he he planned on hitting someone so that's just unnecessary it's a bit violent yeah i don't really see the point of that um but she didn't win which i i I found very surprising uh what did you think of that i was really shocked that she didn't win anything because she to me is just such a music industry darling and has played such a savvy um such a savvy game in the whole promotional lead up to Punisher and thereafter. It kind of seems like she is the critical darling and can do no wrong. So again, it all just boils down to who is the the committee at the end of the day that is deciding the wins, why they are choosing the winners. Um, But I was absolutely baffled by her losing out uh, to almost the point where <laughs> okay I'm completely contradicting myself here like but I remember going to bed um the night of the Grammys and just like scrolling on my phone before going to sleep and seeing like loads of people just like sharing pictures of um Phoebe Bridgers in her classic skeleton gar- uh aesthetic and well this I time it was a bit more like upmarket wasn't it she got a whole dress made with a skeleton yeah. logo imprint yeah didn't do uh, it for you no no um but look her outfit not important but i was uh i was actually like actively afraid to go to sleep and wake up the next morning to the news that she had won a million grammys um so i was slightly happy i know that sounds really terrible and quite mean but i don't know there was just part of me that was happy that she was not victorious because it also means that Elton John has to eat his words and potentially hit someone, um, which is awful and terrible. Well, yeah, we don't condone grievous bodily harm on this podcast or anything. Um, But yeah, uh, she'll be back. She'll do fine. Uh, She tweeted out, you know, when when, when it was announced who won, she tweeted out, stop the count, typically savvy Twitter presence. And then did the Frank Lampardian transition of like, ah, no, but seriously, like Megan's great and like I'm delighted for her, blah, 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 blah. She doesn't need it, you know, ultimately Mm. doesn't really need it. Um, Was a bit surprising. Great night for women, though, apart from Phoebe Bridgers. As I say, Megan Thee Stallion, Billie Eilish won awards. Taylor Swift won Album of the Year for Folklore, making her the first female artist to ever win the Album of the Year award three times. Beyonce picked up four, I believe, and that takes her to 28 Grammy wins total, which is a, in and of itself a record. Amazing. Uh, previously held by Alison Krauss. And yeah, like Fiona Apple won a couple, uh, H.E.R., and that's how it's said, or is it her? Also won. Uh, Dua Lipa, you know, won the award. Um, and Harry Styles is in there as well, somewhere as well, so good for him. Um, you know, the, the the darling of the music industry. I will say for him, I mean, like I haven't been blown away by his post-One Direction work in terms of the quality of the material, but I do think he's done incredibly well to completely leave that behind and completely establish himself mm. as like a secondary thing now. I don't see Harry Styles' ex-One Direction member when I see him. I just see like Harry Styles, this kind of new modern pop star who remains interesting to me as a person and perhaps an actor, but... Music-wise, hasn't really blown me away. But yeah, so the Grammys, I mean, like, it's, you know, it's it's there. You know, it's the biggest night in music. 
But it seems like, as you said, like, you know, less and less relevant. It seems like people care less and less as well because <gasps> they hit a record low in the ratings, uh, an average of 7.8 million viewers in the States. Uh, and that's in the adults 18 to 49 demo. A steep drop from the year before, which was already pretty bad. And they mm. drew 18.7 million viewers the year before. So down by quite a bit. Now, obviously, you have to factor in the pandemic into this and the fact that, like, events don't really feel like events. I did think that, like, for the most part like they're again you're kind of screwed like you can't really dress it up too much i mean it was weird like they're in front of the staples center at one stage and they have like this kind of tented out area and it was kind of like a cross of like jules holland and bbc's backstage at glastonbury coverage and it's extremely hard to generate an atmosphere in this day and age but i guess they tried their best but ultimately yeah it just wasn't wasn't a lot really to write to, to write home about in the end i thought I found that actually really fascinating that this was one of the worst years for ratings, considering that like everyone is at home and like it's not as though like people are, you know, out socialising or not at home or haven't got access to say like a stream of the Grammys from their website or to watch it on television. So I've, I found that really um, fascinating that it was their lowest ratings in this year, I know what you're you're saying about the pandemic and it affecting the production value of, say, performances and the overall atmosphere of the night. Um, but I did find that really, really striking. And again, I kind of just wonder if maybe that is also to do with people just not wanting to stick through that slog and know that they can just get the highlights quite easily the next day. Um, yeah. Very, I actually as well like before before we move on from this story I have to say I absolutely loved the um the bit from Taylor Swift's uh, acceptance speech when she says I want to thank Justin Vernon I'm excited to meet you someday it's like <laughs> that is quite gas just that like, was pretty cute yeah. yeah um she also as did Dua Lipa as did everybody like made a real point of thanking the fans and it's funny because that has now become almost like you know it like the with, with stan culture now to me it's almost like you know, is if forgetting to thank your significant other, you got to thank those mm. fans because they'll get fucking very angry at you if you don't. Uh, also, I was kind of sweet in that acceptance speech that Aaron Desner of the National was like first up, you know, it was just kind of like indicating his his own kind of uh, participation and I guess, you know, work that he brought to that project. Um, so Aaron Desner in his speech did call Taylor Swift, I think, the greatest living American songwriter or certainly one of, which is obviously a, a high statement, but I don't know if you'd agree with that, Sarah, but I know that you would agree with those words when it comes to the work of Bob Dylan, who you are, of course, a big fan. Uh, he's another person who's kind of turned his back on the Grammys, doesn't really care, and you know, has or, or has has also been quote unquote snubbed by the ceremony. But he's kind of in the news this week as well for a different reason. And what is that reason, Sarah? Yeah, he is tangentially. Um, so on Saturday morning, news broke of the death of Sally Grossman. Um, Sally Grossman. Um, listeners might know her as um, the striking lady in red. No, not Krista Berg. Uh, she was on the cover of his 1965 album, Bringing It All Back Home, which of course is just this marvellous uh, break-a-brack, as it says here in like the notes, um, album artwork of just so many different like little Easter eggs Um there's like behind Sally who is uh, lounging on a chaise long, which was actually a wedding present from Mary of Peter, Paul and Mary. Um, you can see a copy of Bob Dylan's Another Side of Bob Dylan just behind her arm. So she was um, the, the wife of Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman. 
And the picture, the artwork for the album was taken by a guy called Daniel Kramer. Um, and they took it in the Grossman's family home um, in Woodstock. Um, and it's now a synonymous album cover. Um, she died um, at the age of 81. I guess it's just a kind of uh, a fascinating story because it has... You know, that artwork is so synonymous and so many Dylan fans will love it um, and obviously like spend hours pouring over like the many different details and digesting kind of the different meanings and like the relevance of certain kind of items that are in there. So when I saw the news on Saturday morning, I was kind of like, I wasn't sad because obviously I didn't know Sally like personally, but I just thought it was... um a nice uh nice way to kind of go back revisit that album and read a bit more about the uh the artwork would you be a fan of that album at all have you listened to it david uh, i i think you know zara <laughs> I, I think you're leading me into some trouble here you, you know like dylan's a bit of a blind spot for me i have noted that i am quite overwhelmed by the back catalogue and of course we we had quite the tussle on our albums and songs in your oh, episode yeah. about like you've forgotten <laughs> are you kidding me some of the feedback i got about that episode whew. uh but i will I, I was going to say I'll concede, that's the wrong word. I'll admit, again, weird, uh, that like the Dylan album from last year is, is excellent. Like he, anything I hear of his, I'm generally like, yeah, that's pretty good. But like, it's a certain style. You know me. Like I'm more mm. I'm more likely to throw on a Linkin Park album than I am Bob Dylan one. For my oh, sins. Is, is this a particularly good album though? Oh yeah, it's a great album. Um, it's kind of one of the first like electric ones as well. It's a real seminal turning point in his career. Um, it wouldn't be one that I go back to all the time. Um, I prefer the seventies era Dylan. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely is one to check out, especially now with this week after the news of her passing. Well, anecdotally, I've read that like uh, obviously fans are very kind of you know reading between the lines and everything he does from a visual point of view as well. And uh, mm. Neil McCormick is quoted here in the Daily Telegraph from about a year ago saying that there was a rumour that the woman on the cover, Sally Grossman, was in fact Bob Dylan in drag, representing the feminine side of his psyche. Mm. Did that ever come across to you or is that a ridiculous thing that should be put away? No, it never was anything that I kind of thought about. Um, if anything, I thought that the inclusion of another side of Bob Dylan is a far more interesting aspect to the artwork because it's a real kind of symbol of him leaving that kind of folkier aspect of his music behind and him being a bit more in the foreground being the focus of this in this new direction is a little bit more interesting so um yeah well also shuffling off this mortal coil this week play irish a irish only digital radio station that has been around for the past 24 months and uh, yeah it's done it's over shutters coming down uh, you may or may not have heard of this uh, platform you may or may not have used it, it similar to one called airwave that uh, emerged i think about a year beforehand and yeah so like it, it was created in 2019 to provide a global outlet for original irish music to gain exposure especially at a time when much of irish national music tastes were being dictated by global streaming platforms so says the press release that came through this week announcing its closure and um, it was a 24-hour kind of digital app thing and exclusively with irish artists and all that kind of stuff so i remember when it came out a couple of years ago i did a feature on it for joe it was kind of one of those you know i was asked to do it and i was like all right i'll give it a go i spoke to sinead troy who was involved with the service uh people may have may or may not have heard her on a recent episode of the irish music industry podcast in which she found herself in a john grisham kind of courtroom trial scene towards the end of that interview but uh sinead's a talker uh, uh, she, she she can hold her own, and uh, I found her very interesting when I spoke to her. 
someone who very much clearly believes in the project that she's working on, but I don't know, it just it just didn't strike me as like a very vital service. I think it's vital in some respects. I think ultimately, like, you know, if you're if you're a PR and you're representing an Irish artist, it's another kind of box to tick, it's another kind of platform to get onto. But I would wonder who really listened to it. I mean, like, I must confess that sort of the couple of weeks, you know, I gave it and like when I was writing that piece and kind of tuning into it. I mean, it certainly functioned as a service. It seemed, you know, like its heart was in the right place. But once again, you know, it just I don't think the interest was there. So to quote Sinead this week, she says, sadly, with much regret, we decided to come off the air. The difficulties the Irish music industry and Irish artists have faced in the last 12 months have already been well documented. The three of us involved in the initiative station from launch have kept it going, even through the small amount of funding we secured from the commercial sector, which dried up last September. Really proud of what we've achieved over the last 24 months. We've provided national and global exposure for brilliant Irish artists and music beyond the mainstream, which is just not getting the recognition it deserves. Unfortunately, it is impossible to continue this initiative without even minimal sectoral funding. So funding is the reason. And I'm sure Sinead and other people involved in the project will have another project down the road and maybe that will get funding. But with this, yeah, I mean, like, you're a music journalist, Zara. You love music. You love Irish music. Did you ever bother with this? No, I have to admit that I would not have really engaged with Play Irish at all. Um, I didn't even hear any of the kind of news about it uh, shutting down. I first heard about it actually from the show notes tonight. Um, It says here as well that um, in the 24 months since launch, Play Irish reached almost 100,000 listeners across territories between Ireland or beyond Ireland, including the UK, Germany, the US and Russia. Um, So I guess that's kind of interesting that the music was reaching um, audiences outside of Ireland. For me, though, if I want to listen to Irish music, I generally will just kind of go straight to the source, be it like their Bandcamp or their SoundCloud, or else I I like to listen to, say, um, in-depth interviews with Irish artists. So for me, a good way to do that is either seeing them being promoted on, say, podcasts like yourself or The Point of Everything always has great interviews with with Irish artists, especially who are, you know, maybe in that time releasing new music. Um, or else, of course, John Barker on 98FM, um, his show Totally Irish. So that those would be the kind of the main uh, catchment areas that would draw my attention to listen to new Irish music. Um, yeah, it is a sad one, obviously, and it's sad that the demise of it is um, a direct result of lack of funding. But I have to say, I was really impressed um, looking at the story to see that the service was run by three people. Yeah, it was very small. And I mean, like, mm. it's also kind of sadly reflective as well that, like, it was just very mm. quietly announced this week and there was very little reaction to it as well. It was just kind of like, tells you all you need to know. I mean, ultimately, I think the real problem here is, and, and always will continue to be, is like radio play and what gets on the radio from an Irish point of view, what gets played, when on what channel, by which DJ, at what time of the day. I mean, you know, John Barker's show you mentioned, it's a great show. It's two hours on a Sunday night. Are you listening to the radio between 9 and 11? Maybe not. I mean, some people are, of course. But like Dan Hegarty, great DJ, loves playing Irish music, but he's the graveyard slot in 2FM. I mean, I mean, Tara Stewart, Tracy Clifford, they do play Irish acts, but also a lot of it is playlisted from what I can see. Could be wrong on that. Um, But also a lot of it is obviously very chart friendly as well. I mean, like you look at the recent kind of gender disparity reports and all that kind of stuff, and there's still a lot of work to be done in general just in terms of before you even get into the whole gender aspect of it there's work to be done in terms of just like diversity I mean like you're not mm-hmm. hearing I mean you were on the Choice Music Prize panel the year that O Emperor won and I believe that there was a report done recently that indicated that 
they got played very, very little throughout that entire year. And the bulk of their plays, which may have been like less than 10 plays, happened in the week that they won the Choice Prize and then never heard from again. So like, mm. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I understand that international acts are obviously very attractive and you have to move with the times and yada, yada, yada. But like... In Ireland, Irish artists still aren't fully supported. Uh, you know, an initiative like Play Irish is noble, but I just don't know how kind of, you know, vital it is or how appealing it is to someone. Uh, I will say, though, um, for, you know, for someone who has unfinished Irish business, however, coming back from the dead, Chris Gaines. Garth Brooks, alter ego, Chris Gaines. Uh, of oh, course, everyone knows Chris Gaines. You'd uh, love to see it. <laughs> it was around 1999, summertime for humanity, as Craig Fitzpatrick would say, uh, that Garth Brooks went all emo, grew his hair out, got a soul patch, and got some eyeliner on, and became Chris Gaines. Uh, that was that great song, Lost in You. If you try and listen to it, you probably won't find it. He's clearly spent an awful lot of money getting the entire thing scrubbed from YouTube and various different stream platforms. It's genuinely hard to find. But Garth Brooks has done a new interview this week and he basically says that the fictional Australian rock star Chris Gaines... Did you know that Chris Gaines is meant to be Australian? Like, what is that I did not know that bit. And I've watched the Garth Brooks documentary on Netflix. Is that good, by the way? Is it good? holy shit it's fucking <laughs> phenomenal like um we watched it actually around this time last year and there was a point where i had to like genuinely ask whether or not it was scripted and if he was kind of playing a character because just his cadence and uh his overall like uh deli- interview style is so bizarre like he's sitting uh with a chair facing him and it's just like about to cry every five minutes uh the chris Gaines section is fascinating because there's a really funny uh point where garth brooks is just like and the most challenging part about playing chris Gaines was of course how do you get a man who's 200 pounds to look 110 pounds that's a lot of hard work it's like what that was the hard work but to be fair like he pulled it off like he's absolutely chiseled in that press shot like very good at his um contour i don't know if he's i don't know if he's going to go back to such a physical degree again like the christian bale of music or anything but ultimately he is planning on reissuing the album he's quoted as saying it's coming you're gonna have it in every format you can possibly imagine you're gonna have chris Gaines stuff no one's ever heard before i love that Dave, that's not how garth brooks sounds i can't i can't i can't i I genuinely i don't have this cadence down i'm just gonna do like a generic american country stuff like it's coming like is that him i don't know i mean oh my coming you're gonna have chris Gaines stuff no one's ever heard of and either <laughs> love that project i'm so excited that that's just me like becoming like s- a southern lawyer from like a fucking terrible courtroom drama yeah i'm excited i hope it happens now listen garth brooks in in the eyes of some people is in fact a, a, an icon a legend of the music world you know um and i guess you know there's probably lots of lots of great material out there whether it's a documentary or whether it's the written word uh you love a good music book you're reading one at the moment that you're not happy with though so tell us all about it I can't believe that this actually made the news. I meant for you this. You told to go me and, to put it in. No, I meant for it in the. I was like, if you need anything for the preamble, I was like, here, I'm reading this book. If you want to talk about it, I didn't think it'd be newsworthy. No, I'm, give, I'm giving you the spotlight. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. Come on, equal co-hosting. This is like this is your time. Oh, thanks, son. Um, yeah, I started reading. It was my birthday recently. Um, thank Happy you, birthday. actually. Yeah, thank you for the shout out. Um, you gave me on the show back then. Um, and I specifically asked for uh, Chris France's book, um, which is called Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club and Tina. Um, 
obviously it is about his formative years growing up him going to RISD and meeting David Byrne and Tina Weymouth and then later on Jerry Harrison and forming the Talking Heads um I would also uh, be a fan of the Scott Aukerman, Adam Scott podcast, Are You Talking Talking Heads to My Talking Head, um, which kind of goes, was was going through like the the overall career of the band and Scott Aukerman was reading the book and would kind of share different stories from it. And I was like, oh, that sounds like really interesting. I'll definitely give that a go. Got the book. I'm maybe a hundred pages in and David, I swear to God, Every single page, he will mention a woman or even in his childhood, which is really weird, <clears throat> where he'll talk about like a girl he knew when he was 10 and she was also 10. And he'd be like, um, for a 10 year old girl, she had the um, the physique of a woman. And you're like, oh, Yikes. that is disgusting. And like he can't mention a woman in the book without commenting on her looks, whether he found her attractive or how horny they both were. And it's like, that is absolutely disgusting. Like, what are you doing? Um, It's also not very badly written, or it's not very well written. Sorry, I saw you shake your finger there and I, <laughs> I got scared. Um, It's not very well written. And he also hates David Byrne which is uh which is entertaining in itself like I was looking for something to fill a bit of a scandooch void in my life um I guess I'm getting a bit of you know scandal in that like he just hates David Byrne and is really uh acerbic about him which is kind of funny but I don't like his overall vibe at all do you intend to finish this book absolutely yeah all right. Um, how would you feel, though? Perhaps more agreeable. A Beatles documentary made by Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings guy. I mean, come on, it's got to be great, right? Uh, Ringo Starr has been talking about this, though. There is, in fact, a new Beatles documentary coming. I think it's due out in August. It's called The Beatles Get Back. And uh, Ringo Starr has done a new interview on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, this documentary aims to take audiences back in time to the Beatles' intimate recording sessions during a pivotal moment in music history. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Maxwell Silver Hammer to be in there. I was there. just about to say. Bang, bang. I hope so. Uh, Sir Ringo was previously kind of cold about this one, though. Sorry, he said I thought you called him Sir Ringo for Sir a Sir Ringo. <laughs> in this house, we stand a Beatles king. No, he not at all. He is a star after all. Look, he will always be the voice of Thomas the Tank Engine to me. That's that's the most important thing. Um, so he described the previous iteration of this documentary as very narrow. Um, so I guess he wasn't too happy about it. I used to moan because the original documentary was very narrow, built around a moment. There was no joy in it. I was there. We were laughing, the lads. And there's a little bit of tension. No one can take that away. But to use that moment and not use these 56 hours of unused film, uh, it sounds like he wasn't happy. But it would appear that, I guess, Jackson has put more into it or something. Um, there's going to be a bit more focus on the good times, you know. Um, Star is now, like, kind of, you know, I guess he's still kind of being a bit of a serapist about it. Paul McCartney, meanwhile, is on the other side of the fence. He's saying, like, uh, you know, I love it. I must say it's it, it's just how it was. It reminds me of, you know, even when we had arguments like any family, we loved each other and that shows in the film. So, in fairness, I want this, though. I want to hear a split. Like, I want to hear, like, one member of the band being like, it rules. Another, man, another member of the band being like, nah, it's terrible. Don't go see it. Because that's just more, like, it's much more interesting if not everyone's on the same page. But uh, we all know... I'm a bit of a Beatles skeptic. Will I watch this? I don't know. You love the Beatles, don't you? You love, like, everything they've done ever, I presume. Will you watch this documentary? I don't love everything they've ever done because let's let's not forget Yellow Submarine. 
and uh, the aforementioned Maxwell Silverhammer and Paul's granny music. Um, There was a trailer that came out for this uh, documentary. I think it was a little bit before Christmas time. And it was just a general kind of um, trailer for the documentary of the band, of like uh, a performance of Get Back, but it playing in the background and then just like various kind of snippets of footage of the lads uh, in the studio. Um, I'm really excited to watch this. Uh, I, I love that it's Peter Jackson whose hands it's in. I would never have expected him to do a music documentary. Um, my... Peter Jackson knowledge is quite limited to just like Lord of the Rings, Smeagol and all that kind of stuff. Well, he did do it, a World War One documentary there about a year or two ago where he ah, kind of recolorized it and that kind of stuff. And it went down very, very well. I mean, he used to be actually quite a eclectic filmmaker in the 90s and then got a bit dull. So I think, yeah, maybe he's just trying to recapture the mojo mm. or something. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um I think their story is just really interesting, the different dynamics of each individual within that band. And obviously, once um, Let It Be came out uh, in 1970, each of the members released a solo record. Uh, Ringo actually released two solo albums in that first year after they broke up. So this was obviously um, a very fertile uh period for the band i'm really interested to see the like the various dynamics especially between say like paul and george um because famously paul was a bit of a bastard george like he bullied him a lot and i just i love george harrison um i think he's a, a very uh pure and beautiful soul david um and also just sartorially it's going to be hella stylish because (laughs) (laughs) even in that trailer I was just like oh god they are so they're just so cool um and I will always just watch anything about them well, in fairness, it's, it's it's a good note to kind of close the news section on now with this last story because it's, it is in it is itself stylish and it is reflective of how the modern megastars are playing with a much different landscape. Billie Eilish, aforementioned Grammy winner, has set a new Instagram record with a photograph of her new blonde hair colour. The pop star beat the previous record set by Selena Gomez on her 26th birthday in 2018, showing off her new do. You can tell I've taken this from like a tabloid-esque website. I think it's actually enemy, which gained 1 million likes in 6 minutes. Um, at the time of writing, Eilish's post, which has uh, more than 17 million likes on Instagram, probably a lot more now, uh, she captioned it, Pinch Me, and it's one of Instagram's <laughs> top 10 most liked posts of all time. Uh, there was all kinds of speculation, fans on TikTok, they're all on TikTok, that's, not, that's why they're not watching oh, the Grammys. Stop, I know. Um, when she went to the Grammys, she was wearing a hat, and everyone was like, oh, is she hiding a new hair colour, is it a wig, who knows? And I'm like, really? Does this matter? I guess it does. I guess she's kind of iconic when it comes to her her own kind of aesthetic. So, mm. uh, what like, what's your most liked Instagram post ever, Zara? How many did you get? Did you get 17 million on, on one ever? No? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, I don't know. Uh, I know there's a picture that you always comment on, which is of me carrying a white ladder, uh, which I... Uh, it was very um, graciously gifted by my boss. Um, we had a white decorative ladder and I met you for a pint in the Lord Edward and I arrived carrying a white ladder into the pub and uh, the barman who would have known me as I was a regular was just like, oh Jesus, not like if you would expect her to do this. Uh, I think that was kind of gas. I don't know, people like that. It's a great um, photo. 
It was a great moment. But I have to say, your reading of this story initially, you sounded so sassy. And I think it's just because you're well gelled that no one has ever, like, you haven't gained so many likes for a new, for a picture of your new haircut. Just because you didn't say pinch me. Um, I did the maths. I know I said earlier that I'm not much of a maths person. But um, I did the maths for this. So it gained 1 million likes in six minutes. So as we know, there's 360 seconds in six minutes, which boils down to 2,777 likes a second. That is wild. You'd need some phone insurance there to stop yeah. that one from blowing up. I'll have you know, Zara, I, I, when, the- whenever I unveil a shot of my wonderful hair, people are always... Always saying nice things, you know? Maybe black and white snap. I mean, that's that's what I do best, right? That's your brand, yeah. All right. Look, listen, I mean, we could talk about the the ramifications and the the terror and the peril and the fear of social media and Instagram all day. What would you do if you found yourself in that position? Who knows? But it could be a subject of conversation on this new Headstuff podcast. This is What Would You Do If? The podcast to answer all of your What Would You Do If? questions. It's Callum and Jess here, and every week we look at how we'd handle different situations. Before finding out what you should do if you're in them. So far, we We've looked at what would you do if you saw someone stealing a bear attacked you the baby started choking you were stuck in the lift you can hear those episodes and loads more on headstuffpodcast.com with a new one every monday So yes, plenty of great shows in the Headstuff Podcast Network. You can support this show, however, if you want to, on patreon.com slash noencore. As noted at the top of the show, you'll get lots of bonus content, and we will love you forever, listener. We really, really will. Craig, back next week. Zara here for the top five. Are you hyped, Zara? I'm very hyped. I have to say, though, I found this to be, of all the top fives that I've done for the show, I found this one to be the most challenging, because the parameters were interesting and, I think, kind of tricky. I don't know if you found it that way. Although you did say actually when we settled on it that you kind of had some instant ones. Um, But yeah, I found this actually quite difficult. Okay. Um, I had four straight away and I kind of did struggle for a fifth, but I got Mm. there in the end. I mean, you know, it can often be easier perhaps to do the worst side of things. Uh, These are, of course, top five best and worst songs about Ireland for the week that's in it or you know, last week, if you listen to this on Monday, as some people like to do. How's it going? Um, why did you find it difficult and what approach did you take before we get going? I found it difficult because, so songs about Ireland, obviously there are countless amazing songs about Ireland from the kind of traditional ballad songbook. And obviously that is so vast and I wouldn't be like the most uh, knowledgeable or kind of proficient in that um, in that uh, genre. So I also didn't want to just throw in something, say like um, a Planksy song, because obviously Planksy have, sorry, spoiler, Plank, Planksy aren't in my top five. Um, I wanted to make sure that I chose songs that I already had uh, a connection to in terms of how it made how they made me feel about Ireland and being from Ireland um so that was kind of also something that I put on myself that I only wanted to put in songs that I previously really liked and made me value and appreciate Ireland 
Okay, that sounds good. For me, it was quite the opposite. <laughs> there were songs that completely betray the spirit of this nation and make a hames of things in the process. Uh, so, yeah, I'll kick us off. So, it's worst corner for me. Worst songs, but Ireland. Before we hit this clip, I will say that, like, you know, on the show recently, we did our uh, kind of look at the Irish charts and we gave Ed Sheeran a kicking for Galway Girl. Uh, I did not pick that because, number one, it was too recent, and number two, it seems a bit too obvious. Instead, I've gone for one here at number five that may well have been an inspiration for the young man himself. She just chanced to pass me by Pretty as a peach in a pumpkin pie Fresh as a flower in full bloom Sweet as a sunny summer's afternoon I was smitten, got me good Never knew that Cupid would Speared me down into my soul Spun me round like a bantam bowl Hair of gold, eyes of blue Prettiest girl I ever knew Skin as white as precious pearl She was my temporary girl Making his no-encore top five debut, it's Daniel O'Donnell, and the song is Tipperary Girl. Welcome to the dance, Daniel. Um, so this was not written by him. Does he write songs? I feel like he doesn't. This was written by a gentleman by the name of Billy O'Dwyer Bob, and this is found on the 40-track Ultimate Collection released in 2011. So 10-year anniversary coming up. Get your vinyl pre-orders in. Uh, this, according to a record company, uh, written by the renowned and highly respected Irish singer-songwriter Billy O'Dwyer, the feel-good factor of this song with its delightfully insistent rhythm, highly infectious chorus, is guaranteed to hold wide appeal as it defies the so-called generation gap by captivating listeners of all ages. It'll be difficult for anyone to resist tapping their feet or singing along to the highly contagious melody and catchy lyrics. Now you could get cynical about that, but I can tell you, listener, that both Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan and co-host Zara Hedeman were dancing away when that clip came on. So... Yeah, look, listen, I felt I felt I had to have some representation here for that kind of more, like, diddly-eye nature of it. And in fairness, I'm sure the original is a crowd-pleaser. It's, it clearly works on a melodic level. But I, you know, Daniel O'Donnell, what, like, what, 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 what is the story with this thing? I mean, how... Thing? Like, well, I guess the phenomenon is what I'm referring to, more so. I mean, guy has a serial killer vibe to him, and yet somehow he's, like, the country's greatest entertainer. I don't, I don't understand it. And this song is just chilling to me. Yeah, um, he wouldn't do it for me, uh, personally. Um, I think it just has to kind of go boil down to that whole he has a very clean-cut image of religious, he loves his mother, um, his his music doesn't have any swearing in it, so I guess it's accessible to kind of all ages, like uh, grandmothers can listen to it with uh, inflicted upon their grandchildren kind of thing it's really inoffensive and obviously as well like that whole line dancing culture that's kind of in Ireland too his music I guess bodes well for like a nice little one two jig reel um, but yeah I don't know it is it is baffling that he is such a uh, symbol of Ireland in music for the international world. When you're just like, no, there's so much more than than Dodd. Um, He's beloved, though. Yeah. I mean, like people seem to. I I will say, I think the favorite, uh, my favorite thing he was ever involved with was probably that time when the Pope played, and you know, obviously he performed. He was one of the many undercard acts wearing a very fetching uh, jacket, I believe on the on the occasion itself but he's interviewed by Sky News and the Chiron was like 
fan, Daniel O'Donnell. And it was like, oh, how dare you? How dare you misidentify the greatest showman to come out of this country? How dare you? Uh, yeah, I mean, so this is representing Tipperary. It's about women from Tipperary, apparently. Mm-hmm. Some kind of magical creature, you know, who just, like, has has it all. Much like Ed's Galway girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, pass the sick bucket, I say. Zara, get this back on track. Get some positivity out there. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I would actually necessarily say that my song uh, evokes positivity at all. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. So uh, my number five, Adam, take it away. I've sung too much of that before Right now I only want to be here with you Till the morning dew comes falling I want to take you to the island and trace your footprints in the sand. Yeah, so that was uh, Paul Brady with The Island. Um, Dave, your reaction there is, as that song started to play was quite amusing. I wish I had taken a screenshot of that. Um, that w- it's very emotional. I, yeah. I, I kind of ha- got swept away with it. Okay, yeah. you know, sue me. Um, it was actually one of the songs on my list that I went back and forth on quite a bit. Um, and I think part of it was just because it's not really the traditional no encore top five inclusion. Um, but at the same time, I just think it is such a powerful and such an effective song. Uh, Paul Brady obviously was born in Belfast, but he grew up in Strabane in County Tyrone. Um, He's like a musical prodigy. He was playing piano from the age of six and guitar by 11, um, was a member of Planksty um, before striking out by himself. This album... Uh, Back to the Centre came out in 1985 and when I was looking at the personnel for this album uh, last night I was quite blown away Um, and I always forget as well just like what a big deal Paul Brady is in terms of his songwriting chops. Um, On this album he had appearances from Larry Mullen Jr. of U2, uh, Eric Clapton provides some guitar and also Luden Wainwright lends some backing vocals. But um, I chose the island because, as you heard there, I just think it's so beautiful. Um, I love the uh, the overall mood of the piano of it. It's so minimal and yet it's like there was a few times yesterday when I was listening to it where it really kind of packed quite a punch um obviously the song is about the troubles in northern ireland and um, the start of the song he compares you know the lebanese civil war with what was going on in northern ireland throughout the 1980s he makes references to um uh, the shipyards and the markets um and i don't know i just think it's a very i just think it's a very beautiful song in how he mentions, you know, about the sacrifice that was made, um, but also kind of lends a kind of romantic lilt to it as well, which to me makes it a very uh, personable and hum- humanistic song. Um, and yeah, I just, I couldn't not include it um as well, it kind of has come back into my mind since watching Lost last year, because every time that they'd be like, we need to go back to the island, I would burst into the course, um, which I won't do now to save you. But yeah, what was your kind of relationship? Do you Would you be a fan of Paul Brady at all? Would you have kind of, what would you have thought of this song before this? 
I'm generally kind of allergic to a lot of Irish classics, you know, I think ultimately, and for lots of reasons, really complicated relationship with, you know, with the country, like any good Catholic Irish man, you know, like, I mean, you just, you know, you never quite know where you stand with this place, do you? Uh, but essentially, uh, this, I, I, it's just, you know, it's not my generation, of course, and I, I kind of associate it with like stuffy interviews on the Late Late Show and kind of, you know, the more dustier aspects of the hot press office when I work there. And I'm just like, it doesn't really do it for me. But I will say, Zara, I, I have to say, I like a great song is a great song and when that chorus comes along and when it like it, the build-up is so patient and then when it gets there you're like yeah and i'm sorry but th- like this is like mm. peerless songwriting incredibly well delivered it's a beautiful mm. song and it's a great choice to kick us off now i'm gonna just change the tone that's what i'm oh, gonna dear. do with my number four because uh, i wanted to steer away from novelty stuff and kind of football songs in particular as well like there's so many candidates but Zara, I got pulled in like a tractor beam. Here's my number four in the worst songs about Ireland. Ireland, Ireland. We'll fly the flag so the world can see that Ireland's back and you must agree. Forget the bank bailout, let's hear the Irish shout. We're even ready to forgive the area. To wow. even begin, it's Jedward. The song is called "Push the Green Cape On," and you heard that line there. Forget the bank bailout, you know. So they were ahead of their time, and like people think that this recent, you know, Jedward's Twitter-based, you know, social capital pivot. Uh, but no, they're all—it was always in them. This is what I'm telling you, right? So um, this was a song called "Put the Green Cape On," which was released in honor of Ireland's forthcoming ill-fated 2012 Euro 2012 campaign. Uh, there's some line as well, I think, in like the next verse where they say Robbie Keane's going to score three or four. Now, Zara Hedman, yep. can you tell me how many goals Ireland scored in their entire Euro 2012 campaign? Uh, I'm going to say seven. The answer is one. They scored one goal in a horrific group stage performance, which included three losses. The one goal came in a 3-1 defeat to Croatia. Sean St. Ledger scored that goal. Uh, Croatia would go on to win that one 3-1. Spain walloped us 4-0 and Italy took us down two goals to nil. A fucking miserable, miserable time. Uh, Put the Green Cape On is a song by Jedward, of course, based on the duo's hit single Lipstick with new lyrics written by Colm Hayes. So it was a radio thing. Uh, Unofficial song. Now, all proceeds of the sale went to the ISPCC which is pretty good it went to number three in the chart which I was like what I didn't know that um, I actually had never heard the song before until this morning. I'd never heard of this. I don't know how I, how I avoided it completely. I did not know. Um, the video has an extended version of the song and has an animation kind of thing where they have capes on and their like, heads are stuck on these bodies and they fly around to these kind of virtual backgrounds and interact with the likes of Paul McGrath. Glenda Gilson, Louis Walsh, Catherine Thomas, Larry Gogan, Zig and Zag, Bosco's in there, Bill O'Hurley, rest in peace, rest in power, oh, Mary McCallaghan, Martin King. It's it's a who's who. Mrs. Brown's in there as well. You know, Keith Duffy shows up. So it was a real get it's him an together. eclectic bunch. Yeah, and look, it's terrible. I mean, 
I will say, right, um, generally very popular, you know, and people like them. They they buy into this kind of, you know, they're going to tweet about social issues and give out about the bad people in the world thing. But, like, I'm sorry, whoever's running that fucking account, because it ain't them, is just taking... You don't think it's them? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think I think, I think it's a very calculated pivot, and it's very, very clever. I can't believe that they're still going. It, it, it kind of shocks me. I got a DM off them, as everyone does, you know, got one around Halloween, and it was just like, okay, here, here it is, it's my turn today, I'm on the list. Um, yeah, I've muted the account pretty hard. I can't stand it. It's too much. As is always the case, though, should this audio find its way in front of them, welcome on the show anytime, boys. <laughs> Josh McClory style. Um, hey, Josh McClory's a saint. No, I know. I really liked him on the episode. I think he's a stand-up um, fella. Uh I'm just saying I would welcome uh, one, a beef between you and Craig and Jedward. I think that would be so funny. And then two, for it all to be resolved on Mike. Like, I think that would be just box office. Tag um, team match if uh, professional wrestling ever returns to this country. Yeah. My favourite line from that uh, song was about uh, even forgiving Thierry Henry. I thought that was absolutely genius. Um Never forget. Uh, never forgive either. Um, or as Amen. Lauren from the Hill said, I can forgive you, but I can't forget you. That's or so was good. that it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to forgive yeah. you. I want to forgive you and I want to forget you. And I want to. Yes, that's what it was. And, 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 um, and further pop culture, like wonderfulness. Yes. Mm, interesting shout, David. Um, I've never heard that uh, version of before. Obviously, I was really familiar with Lipstick. Um, so thank you so much for introducing me to that. What I'm here to do. Yeah. Um, on a slightly different note, um, but also in a similar kind of vein and key to my number five, um, it's time to get the Kleenex out once again. And at sea with blowing hair I think of Dublin of Grafton Street and Derby Square Those of whom I care And you in Dublin And you in Dublin That of course was some uh, gorgeous guitar noodling from Eric Bell with uh, Phil Linnett accompanying him on uh, Dublin by Thin Lizzy. Um, are you familiar with this song, David, at all? I mean, you're just going to keep doing this to me all episode, aren't you? You're going to expose my... You host my... a music podcast. Yeah, but there's lots of music, okay? And again, so hot press tied in. I, 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 I've there's music before, beyond I've Nine before, Inch Nails, I, my friend. I, 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 I carried Eric Bell's guitar for him once. It was a lovely moment and we bonded over his newfound appreciation of Slipknot. So there you go. Oh, Generational nice. divides coming together. All good stuff. Thin Lizzy are an act. Again, I just, I respect them, hmm. but I will, you will rarely find me throwing them on at a party. So, but what am I missing uh, out on? Tell me more. Well, this song comes from uh, the period of when they were recording uh, songs for their self-titled debut, which um, <coughs> uh, obviously is fantastic. I think Thin Lizzy are a great band. Um, I actually only properly got into listening to their albums start to finish about a year ago. Um, And when I heard this song Dublin for the first time, it like pretty much reduced me, I have to say. Um, 
mainly because I guess the stark contrast to uh, the overall tone and atmosphere of the song. I mean, obviously, this is very uh, mellow. It's very melodic. Um, obviously, this is a very uh, personal uh, tribute from Phil in it to uh, Dublin. You know, he mentions specific places, Grafton Street. Um, he strikes really vivid imagery of him on a boat uh, leaving Ireland and going off to live in England. Um, and just like that sound of uh, wistfulness and the lament in his voice, we usually kind of associate Thin Lizzy with, you know, brash rock numbers like really energetic like really badass um songs uh so then to hear this kind of flip side and to hear such a somber and such a sincere performance um i think it is one of thin lizzie's best songs if i dare say um it's one that i think about constantly it was the first song actually that came to my mind to do this top five as well um and i saw actually the thin lizzy documentary um that I think it was supposed to come out around Christmas time but with Covid and cinemas and everything I think the releases maybe got pushed back again um, but there is a part in the documentary where this song plays and I think I might have texted you afterwards and I was just saying how I was a blubbering mess I wanted to the- bring this up I, want- yeah. I remember you went to a press screening you were reviewing it for was it Tully Dublin perhaps? Yeah um, and yeah it had quite the effect on you mm. What exactly happened? Take me into that screening room in that moment. Well, I walked into the lighthouse blaring um, the boys are back in town and like all time. Oh, it was just fantastic. Like I was like blasting like all the Thin Lizzy kind of classics. And then just he was feeling it was just such a one of a kind character and especially a one of a kind musician um, from Ireland. Obviously he grew up, he was born in England but he moved home, I think he was living in Crumlin um, and grew up here and always identified himself as Irish and there were so many different like hilarious interview snaps of like journalists on TV just being like and you're British? And he's like no, I'm Irish and it's just like he was so proud of being Irish he was just such a lovely man he just loved music he loved his family his daughters and I think it was just the impact that he had and all of the uh, people who knew him his family that were interviewed as well and I was just in absolute bits and I think as well like this song Dublin as well it just at that time as well of that screening I was really into this song and I would listen to it a lot so I just think that kind of um combination of all of those aspects just really heightened my feelings for Phil in it and my appreciation of him as an Irishman. That's fair. I, I, I would agree with you. I think he is a genuinely kind of legendary figure, deserves all the accolades he gets. But we'll move from one legendary Irish frontman of a band to another for my number three in the worst songs but Ireland Corner. Hit that beautiful music, Adam. For the first time Turn the city into Dublin Yeah, wherever we may be It's alright Cause tonight We're gonna paint the town green Just like home It's gonna the streets like a
Doesn't it make you just feel alive? Do you know who that, that is, Zara? That is disgusting, whatever that song is. Uh, you, know, you know who it is? You want to take a guess? Uh, Paint the Town Green. Paint the Town uh, Green is, in fact, the name of the song, yes. By the most patriotic Irish band in the world. Very popular worldwide band. Frontman of a very interesting characteristic who I had the pleasure of speaking to about a year and a half ago. Uh, oh, no. Uh... Uh, I don't know, Dave. Time's up. It's the script. I had a feeling there was a bit of a bang of Danny O'Donoghue off that. Oh, big time, yeah. It's the script. It's Paint the Town Green. And uh, this is the the best part about this song, right, was as I was putting this initial draft list together the other day, because the weird thing is, if you Google, like, songs about Ireland or, like, bad songs about Ireland and so on, (laughs) Google results tend to be quite general and broad. Um, like songs about Ireland, you're mostly going to get like Irish songs or traditional songs or even songs by U2 or whoever. The actual like about Ireland part isn't really drilled that kind of hard down into. So it can be tough to kind of ascertain what is and what isn't about Ireland. So it, it, it can actually be a bit of a tough troll, you know, if you're really kind of going for it. So, but the best part with this was, and Adam can attest to this because I sent him a very giddy voice note during the week. I was sitting here and I was just thinking, you know, and it was like a fucking you know, green, white and orange light bulb exploded over my head because I was like, oh, I bet, I will bet money that the script have a song about Ireland, a fetishistic anthem song about Ireland. And I guarantee it is. And I looked it up and of course, there it was, Paint the Town Green. Uh, It's horrible. It's plastic as fuck. It's designed to be played on the worldwide tours. And you go into the, like, the YouTube comments of this and it's stuff like, you know, uh, I'm Romanian, but when I hear this song, I feel Irish too. And it's like, or like, I'm from Indonesia and Ireland's the best country of all time. And it's all like, yay. Like, you know, everyone's delighted to be Irish for five seconds. Um, There is a quote from the guitarist, uh, Mark Sheehan, who says, We're not crying on the page and it's not super emotional as a song. It's just about missing home and talking about what every immigrant around the world feels. So, yeah, it's it's pretty much for when they're out on the road, out on tour, you know, and they're like, you know, classic stuff like, you know, the subway will become the Lewis line. And, you know, tonight, whatever city you're in can be Dublin if you just want it to be. So, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot, right? But that's what you get with the script. Where do you where do you stand on this kind of this kind of patriotic dirge and the script in general? Oh, I find it, I, this is just so cynical um, and it just kind of makes me a bit sick to my stomach to be honest um, anyone who kind of tries to commercialise their Irishness and gain dollar from it is absolutely sickening um, and also to that line about the subway turning into the Lewis like that needs to be derailed in itself like Oof. that is absolutely i don't know this just really this has ticked me right off um it just sounds like a very generic paddy's day engineered song um and yeah i wish the script all the best in playing it to yeah and this is the part where i i shamelessly plugged that previous interview if you've never read it for whatever reason oh my god joe.ie if you just google joe.ie the script interview the name of it i think was i'm still trying to write the song that'll save the world which was one of many is that not it <laughs> and it's just this part of the world. He's got to go global, you know, as, as he told me in that amazing interview. Uh, go read it. It's fun. Zara, number three for you on the best list, please. <clears throat> okay, number three for me um, is a very uh, invigorating. I always forget how bad I am at doing these intros into my uh, <laughs> into my top five, so I do apologise. Uh, a very invigorating instrumental. Uh, so, Adam, go for it. 
course, was Lancome's version of the Pride of Petrovore, um, a traditional ballad which I think dates back to the late 19th, early 20th century. Um, its best known version is one that was penned by, well, lyrics penned by Percy French. Um, Percy French is an absolute legend. David, do you know much about El Perse? No, but I know what I like and I like this song. Please tell me about Percy French. Percy French is a fascinating character. Um, He is considered, I think, one of Ireland's most foremost songwriters and entertainers of his day. Other hits from French include, do you know the song, Are You Right There, Michael? Who doesn't? That was a childhood yeah. staple. For yeah, me. exactly. Yeah. Um, so he is also known for that song. He initially graduated from Trinity College as a civil engineer back in 1881, and he joined the board. Huh? Yeah, uh, and he joined the Board of Works in County Cavan as an inspector of drains. Um, it is said that he wrote his best songs during that period. Um, I guess looking down a drain it will inspire you, perhaps. Um, once the Board of Works so, uh, reduced staff in about 1887, French turned to journalism and he was the editor of a weekly comic paper called The Jarvie. Sounds like a, a good L read. Uh, but then the paper failed and French's long and uh, successful career as a songwriter and entertainer began. Um, I went for a walk down the canal, I remember about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And I don't know if I've ever told this to you, but I have um, a bit of a penchant for looking at pla- plank planks uh for looking at plaques and uh and planks planks, you don't discriminate yeah no um so i love looking at plaques uh just to try and pick up any bit of trivia and history i can find and i saw a granite bench and i was like oh that looks like it has something on the side of it i'm gonna have a little mooch and a mosey and see who it's celebrating and it was actually celebrating percy french uh because he lived along mespel road um so yeah um i just kind of thought this was a late entry for me actually um and then once i came upon it, i was like yeah of course you have to put the pride of petrovore in it um and especially this version um the lancome version that featured on the live long day is I remember the first time I heard it and I was exhilarated for days on end. Um, when they performed it in Vicker Street last year, they were um, joined by Spider, St- Spider Stacy, um, who uh, played with them for a really great performance, which you can watch in a live video. Um, and I think that this inclusion of Lancome doing a traditional song for this list was kind of necessary or essential because it's just a contemporary band who are doing really interesting um, things with traditional music and driving it forward for hopefully new generations. Yeah, very much so. Great choice. Mm. I mean, like, I, I remember they played two nights at Vicar Street last January and I went to one of them, you went to the other, I believe. Mm. I think I was there the night before and it was one of the last gigs I got to before gigs went away, of course. Neither Nine actually invited me along and it was a phenomenal, phenomenal show. Absolutely amazing. And, like, it's funny because, like, to refer to a Lancome song and, like, say, like, oh, the drop in the song makes no sense, but you know yeah. what I mean. And, like, the, yeah. p- the part that you chose, you're waiting for that big kind of ballast moment, which is in there. And live, it's unbelievable. Same with the Wild Rover when they have, like, an extra person come out and just hit a fucking giant, like, bass drum type thing. And it's just like, my God. Uh, I-, I've- I made a playlist this week or I updated an old playlist, like, for kind of for Paddy's Day, like, 100 Irish songs that I 
like and I the Wild Rover was on there from last year at least one person kind of responded to me and said that like they'd never heard of Lankin before and they were mesmerized and I was like I wrote back to them and I said look if you ever get a chance to see this this act live that's what you need to do because again like I mean I'm I'm not always au fait or like massively into traditional Irish or that kind of stuff but like there's just something about what Lancome do it's so physical it's so visceral it's incredible it's very very singular um, they were on the show before of course I interviewed them before the Choice Prize last year so if you've never heard that episode just look it up in your feed and uh, yeah great band great choice and now at number two for me in the bad list one of the worst songs of all time Yeah, that's uh, Ireland's Call, one of the worst songs ever created by anybody ever. And uh, that's a, a rendition from a couple of years ago by Phil Coulter. Phil Coulter wrote the song in 1995. Uh, that's a rendition from a couple of years ago on The Late Late Show. And it's it's an astonishing clip. I would encourage everyone to look it up because you are missing something about the visual because the crowd that are there... For some reason, they're swaying their arms about from side to side. Everyone's out of sync. It looks like hell itself. And the best part about that clip is, and you see it, you heard it there at the end, Ryan Toberty is standing, like, right beside the piano, and he's getting involved. He's, like, clapping along. Really awkward. Very similar to that time when Leo Varadkar was singing Zombie on the street, like, you know, with some busker. And it was just, like, Robot tries to feel humanity. It was just this weird <laughs> moment. But, like, you hear Toberty there when, like, Phil Coulter's, like, you know, we'll answer Alan's call. Toberty goes, yes, we will. And it's like, oh, oh, my, my, my bones are coming out of my fucking body. It's disgraceful. So this song is uh, highly associated with rugby, the worst sport of all time. Uh, I should note that uh, I can't stand it. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people who listen to No Encore who love rugby. Look, if you love this show, you've clearly got taste, you're exempt from this. But I'm just got I have to be honest. I fucking hate rugby. I hate rugby fans. I think it's the smuggest sport out there. And I'm, I'm referring to a very Zara's eyes, just like eyebrows went through the roof there. I'm referring to a very specific rugby fan. The very arrogant rugby fan. The guy who like orders, and I quote from one time in a draw to bar, I heard this, two pints of high no please and a long neck bottle for my woman. Those kind of people, you know. I'm sure there are plenty of, oh, of wonderful I'm God. friends I'm friends with with, with, with rugby fans mm. some of my best friends are rugby fans <laughs> <laughs> but essentially right I just I can't stand it and there's this weird thing it's like it's conditioned like and, and I feel bad like you know anytime I call my parents if Six Nations are on they're like are you watching the rugby and I'm kind of like we've been over this mom I hate it uh, yeah. <laughs> but like this song was created uh, in 1995 Phil Kilder was commissioned to sing it because um, there was a whole thing about like the Irish national anthem was deemed like offensive or too divisive amongst different nations and Fuck stuff. That, as like. far as I'm aware, yeah, there was like a lot of a lot of opposition towards Aaron Levine, and so I think it was a, like it, it was a case of well, we need something else. So for the 1995 World Cup uh, in South Africa, the IRFU commissioned Phil Coulter to make the song from scratch, Ireland's Call, and it's just become yeah, it's just become like its own thing, and I just. 
I mean, before you even get into it as a song, like I say, I I, I can't help but associate it with rugby and just like the mm. lads, the lads, you know, like with their fucking tears flowing down their faces, it plays out to the Aviva Stadium. Um, as a song, it's horrific. It's so it's basic. Grotesque. It's, yeah, it's, it's, grotesque it. is a wonderful word for it. Zara, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm getting all hot and bothered here. Why don't you tell me why why you don't like the song? Um, I really hate the fact that it stands in for the Irish National Anthem um, and I actually never knew that the reason for its actual inception was um, because in for the Rugby World Cup that a Ron Avine would be seen as kind of was it offensive? You said and, and um, yeah, I need to like, like I need to clarify that. Like I mean, like th- I, there was objections, like you know, across the board for for quite some time, and I, I don't like I, I I don't have the definitive reason, but like as far as I'm aware, as far as I'm aware, and like rugby fans, this is your chance to get one over on me to get a try on old Dave, oh. and you can tell me that I'm wrong. But I'm, touchdown. I, I, I believe this was created for that reason, for a more safer option, essentially. Keep everyone. But that's happy. so funny when you consider like the lyrical content of God Save the Queen as well like that's also an extremely um, offensive and fucked up song Um, I really hate this song as well Um, like you I'm not a huge rugby fan I have the same when my family are like oh it's Six Nations song you watching it I'm like absolutely not like I couldn't couldn't care less like um, I actually as well like actively want the Irish rugby team to lose all the time oh, same, unless yeah. I, unless I, we're I playing it. England it's hilarious then, like yeah. I love seeing New Zealand just like take them apart for sport and I'm like this it's top union you know it's great stuff mm. Twitter just like silent yeah <laughs> okay I'm having too like, much I, fun here. I almost feel like this song has even though it's like probably considered like one of the most patriotic songs I think it's like one of the greatest displays of faux patriotism as well like it's just such a soulless song plastic as like, hell yeah yeah it's really plastic um and like i would expect nothing less from phil coulter so anyway ouch all right take us back into the into the light zara <laughs> take us back to the island um david what would your favorite day of the week be out of curiosity it's thursday because i get to record this show with my mates on zoom well so not sunday then how do you feel about Sunday? Uh, it's generally an, a fun day of relaxation. Is there anything else about the day that's of note? Well, perhaps. for just a second uh, I did note yeah. I, I feared you were taking us into Alan Partridge territory there and I was like surely it wouldn't be this song about genuinely horrific events but I'm sure you're going to yeah. contextualise everything just fine Zara as I said I am terrible at the top five introductions it's one thing a knife that actually makes me fumble and uh, stumble over any kind of sense of uh, sense and decency Um so that, of course, is Sunday Bloody Sunday, a song that uh, 
looks at uh, the two Bloody Sunday events in Ireland, in Ireland's history, but more specifically the second one um, from January 30th in 1972, in which two paratroopers killed 13 Irish citizens at a civil rights protest in Derry. Um, the origins of this song, I mean, Bono is famous for Thank you for naming him, but I, I love how you two have not got a mention yet. They're so, it's, it's so synonymous. <laughs> It'd be shocking if anyone didn't know, but know. it is in fact you two. <laughs> it is you two. <laughs> what was Bono um, So Bono has always famously, you know, uh, professed that this is not a rebel song. This is just called Bl- Sunday Bloody Sunday. Um, the song was written, um, it grew from a guitar riff and some lyrics that were written by The Edge in 1982. He'd actually just had an argument with his girlfriend and was going through a bit of a rough patch of kind of having a bit of self-doubt in his, his songwriting abilities. And he, um, there's a quote here which says, The Edge, feeling depressed, channeled his fear and frustration and self-loathing into a piece of music music and actually in his original version of Sunday Bloody Sunday his opening line was don't talk to me about the rights of the IRA UDA and Adam Clayton was just like um I think we should maybe scratch that and not have that as the opening line um while Adam, the edge was the voice yeah. he's, the, he's the Kirk Hammett of that band like for sure yeah yeah, he uh, he. While the Edge was working on this, do you know what Bono was doing at the time, David? Um, I, I hope. Well, I, I will sidebar for just one second. And I'll say I hope it's around this time when they had that infamous show. And there's a great YouTube clip that gets shared around a lot where Bono they're playing in San Francisco and Bono sees a, a flag with SF written on it and doesn't realize it's the San Francisco flag and is like, "Get that fucking flag out of here!" And it's so funny. <laughs> uh, what was yeah. Bono doing? Was he was he working on a film? Or something no he was on honeymoon in jamaica that sounds lovely yeah um this song as well i think has um some kind of pertinence to bono in terms of like the the sectarian nature that it was spawned from in that uh, bono's father was a catholic and his mother was a protestant um and that religious divide obviously was such a huge um a huge conflict in Ireland during this time and it was so bad within his family that his father's family didn't even go to their wedding. Um, obviously, musically, I mean, it's undeniable that that is one of U2's greatest songs. Um, it's been performed by them over 600 times. Um, a lot of the time they'll open their shows with it. And just like the story then of them recording it, um, obviously features on their third album, War, which uh, was their third and final record that they did with Steve Lillywhite. And poor old Larry Mullen got a bit of a... Kind of, he felt, I think, a little bit like undermined a bit during the recording of this because obviously that like militaristic drum beat at the start, it's so clean, it's so precise. Um, and Lily White was encouraging Larry to use a click track, but Mullen was like having absolutely none of it. He was like, no, mate, I don't need that. And Go on, Larry. Actually, yeah, and uh, actually uh, he had like this chance meeting with Andy Newmark of Sly and the Family Stone and he said that uh, he actually used a click track religiously and Larry was like, oh, okay, I'll use it then. Um, and then to achieve that really distinct reverb on his drums, it was recorded at the base of a stairway uh, or a staircase. 
And also another kind of vital part of that arrangement is the elect, uh, electric violin, which is played by Steve Wickham, um, who later would play with the Water Boys. And this kind of reminded me actually a lot, bizarrely, that we were talking about Bob Dylan earlier, um, of when Bob Dylan was just going down the street during the Rolling Thunder kind of days and he saw Scarlett... Um, Riviera and her violin case and invited her to come to like pl- uh, practice with them. Um, Steve Wickham approached the edge at a bus stop one morning and asked if you two needed a violin for their next album and he just joined them then I guess in Wimmel Lane for half a day and uh, yeah laid down that synonymous and iconic track. Um, how do you feel about this featuring on the top five? Are you happy that you two are in there, David? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would have been strange if they didn't at some point. They are so synonymous with Ireland. And, you know, in fairness, I think, you know, the, we have a love-hate relationship with them. I mean, I'm sure there are some people listening to this right now who are like, no, I just fucking hate them. Uh, I think that you two have enough enough great songs that, like, they should always be regarded as an interesting act. And look, listen, I mean, we take the piss out of them quite often. There's lots of bad stuff in their catalogue. There's lots of, you know, Bono could fill a book with some of the quotes he's come out with though make you roll your eyes but at the same time ah like i think the world's a better place with you two in it you know and i think ultimately to me like i've said this before but like i think they are the greatest example of a greatest hits band i think they have like you know you can make you can get 10 or 20 songs that are just killer you know and granted i mean it's rare these days that they'll do anything of particular note but you know see them live if you can like throw on their 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 best songs this absolutely being one of them Mm. i mean yeah a necessary evil? I don't know. Am I going too far? You pick them. How do you feel about One, them? Um, I think that their earlier stuff is really great. I was actually listening to War uh, again in work today and I just find it so irresistible. Like, I was yelping this song out. Um, and then as well, like, uh, New Year's Day, I was also just blaring that. And I do think that... They're such a stadium perfect band, but at the same time, they do have some moments like Red Hill Mining Town, which I absolutely love. Um, I also have a bit of a, a penchant for, uh, is it Wild Honey that's in Vanilla Sky? Possibly. I think their best song. I think it actually just features on the original no I think it's in the film, but not in the soundtrack. But actually, uh, since you mentioned that um flag that was at that show I was watching a clip of Bono talking about the impact of Sunday Bloody Sunday and like them working on it yesterday and he just like slips in really casually that um apparently Jerry Adams really loved the song and he had a poster of war in his office wow yeah, well, I don't know how true that is. We'll say though, no but... more about that. I will say that their best <laughs> song, their best song, is "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me." And w- oh. with that in mind, "Stay" is my favorite. Time for my uh, time for my number one, Zara. So, worst oh, songs about Ireland. I've been very, very excited about getting to this all week. Uh, a song from about ten years ago when it was introduced to me by a friend of mine. I, I, I couldn't believe that it existed. I still can't. And I must say, um, the one thing that like my list so far has in common, I believe, I think every act on there was Irish. This act is not from Ireland, but certainly thinks he is. So at number one, I, I, I don't have the words. Let's just have a listen to a nice long minute of this tune. Irishman, leather weathered Irish skin, beard orange, 
Strange as the sunset of the flag In the night sky we fly it Pride for the life we fight to live History I write with it Spit it with the dialect And this is a celebration of course The great white horse And when they pulled up on that shore First generation born Toasted those that made it on a boat to New York And when the English came The colonizer came They filled up bottles of gasoline Turned them into balls of flames And hurled them to protect what's ours I'll touch these lucky charms A bunch of Irish screaming Fuck the London Guard I'm kidding, not dissing London is bloody raw But go against the Irish and get a bloody jaw Preach non-violence but remind us of the scars And the fire so put a pine up everybody sing a song We put our glass to the sky and lift up and live tonight Cause you can't take it with ya So raise a pipe for the people that aren't with us Oh wow, yes indeed, at number oh one for God. me, it's Macklemore and Ryan Lewis with the song Irish Celebration. It's outstanding, it's incredible. Have, I'm guessing you've never heard Wait, this before. David, how do you say his name? It's Macklemore, it's not Macklemore. Th- this is this has been factually proven to be, I've been incorrect for all these years. Even when I went to Wait. his gig that time and I, I hashtagged it and I live tweeted it and it was the best night of my life. And he played this, by the way, and it was out of control. I was trashed. Well, you'd have to play it. Apparently it is Macklemore. Yeah, not, like not. Really? Yeah, yeah, but we all say Macklemore. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but his real name is Benjamin Hammond Haggerty. And he notes in those lyrics, he's proud to be a Haggerty, you know? So like ultimately um, this song is designed, like you, you want like, like this is what the script could have done, you know? This is very much a case of Let's make a song about being Irish, but being around the world and having a great time. And it's an Irish celebration. And he throws in stuff like, you know, references to Lucky Charms, saying fuck the London Guard and then walking that back immediately. And the best part is, you know, Mm. you know, this is a guy who, you know, for all his Irish heritage and love is so determined to say Irish like that. I'm an Irishman. It's so good. His enunciation of Irish is hilarious. It's it's a very... uh, very striking. And that like that like theremin kind of motif running through it of this patriotic Irish theremin. It's like, what the hell is going on? It's I, I scarcely believe it exists. The video is hilarious. It's Mac Lamour and lots and lots of people <laughs> milling around in pubs and like waving the tricolor about the streets. And again, you go into the comments and they're all just like oh nothing makes me prouder to be Irish than this oh, and that kind of stuff and there's like I think the, one of the top comments I saw was when you find out you're not point not 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 7% Irish <laughs> <laughs> like, absolutely uh, so listen I've been listening to this song on repeat all week for obviously Jesus. mirth reasons comical reasons but I, th- I think something broke in my brain along the way guys I kind mm. of I've kind of no I've kind no. of come full circle on this and no. I think I love it I think I oh, kind of no. unironically adore this song uh, and I, listen in fairness I went to that gig a few years ago it was, a, it was an awful <laughs> lot of fun I always at this point point out that uh, he's got a song called Other Side Remix which is a genuinely beautiful song and one that appears to have helped an awful lot of people through addiction issues and that kind of stuff so he's not all bad but of course to tie it back into the Grammys as was cited again this week and will be cited until the end of time uh, the album him and Ryan Lewis 
think it's called The Heist, won the Grammy for Best Rap Album back in 2013, 2014, beating Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid Mad City, beating Kanye West's Yeezus, and two others that were clearly, obviously, of a higher standard. This is why the Grammys doesn't matter. Like That's pretty much the, the big kind of takeaway that people were even saying this week. Also, Macklemore uh, put up an Instagram post of a text he sent to Kendrick Lamar saying, I'm so sorry, I didn't deserve to win, <laughs> which is pretty humble. Fair play to him. Irish Celebration, outstanding piece of work, genuinely one of a kind, and my number one for the worst songs about Ireland this week. Zara Hedeman, a shell shock Zara Hedeman to finish. I have to say, I think that is a pretty noble winner for the be- worst uh, song about Ireland. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily label that disgraceful like I have with so many of the other uh, songs that featured on this list. It's so uh, earnest, I, right? Like, 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 that's, no, it's that, not that's his earnest whole thing. at all. But it is, because like, that's his whole thing. Like, he thinks he's doing good. Like, his spirit is in it. I can't, I can't get... He mentions his lucky charms and alludes to his balls. Like, he is not, like... He's a wholesome any, rapper, okay? No, he is not. <laughs> like, he's not. This is not an earnest song and there's something wrong with you if you think that this song is earnest. Welcome on the show anytime sir (laughs) (laughs) as I always say um but yeah I'm very glad I actually did when I was doing that kind of precursory google of songs about Ireland and I saw that this existed I was just like oh do you know what like I'm not even gonna bother listening to this because I'm sure in some shape or form this will find its way into my life and I'm very glad that you're the one David who brought it to me it's what I do yeah. Um so for my number one, um I have actually a bit of um a surprise and a project that I put together the other night that I'm immensely proud of and also have to shout out thank you to David Tapley for helping me with the edit of this. So Adam, let the masterpiece begin. That is up there with the documentary episode that Dahi did about two years ago in terms of just invention and twists and turns. I, I, I can only applaud both you and David Tapley. That is magnificent work. Bravo. Please tell us who all of that was. Oh, stop. Um, Like when I say that when I came up with this uh, concept to blend 
uh, versions of Whiskey in the Jar from as chronologically featured Thin Lizzy, Metallica, yes. Pulp, Brian Adams, Thin Lizzy again, and then of course the Dubliners. Uh, Dave, I have literally never been happier or more proud of myself. And I said it to Tapley, who was doing some work as well that night. Like this was all going down at like one, half one in the morning the other night and like clipping the audio, he uh, magicked it all together and added in the, the radio snippet, which I just thought was a, a fine piece fine piece of um it's the key to Adam Shanahan's heart right there I'm telling you yeah yeah um when I was doing this top five whiskey in the jar was one that I did not consider at all I was like no I'm staying away from that I wanted to be a bit more kind of choose outlier outliers but then actually the more I thought about it and the more I listened to whiskey in the jar I was just like I actually have to put this in. And as soon as I saw that Metallica had a version of it, and David, not just a version of it, a Grammy award winning version of it. I'm they telling won, you. I'm telling you. They won a Grammy in, nine, in 2000 for best rock performance for that. It is. Uh, wh- where is the lie? Oh, how, come on. I, I, I don't understand this. People always say it's this. And, and it's just, no, it's, it's, no, 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 oh, no, no. It's horrendous. No, no it's amazing. Ufasa. It's, it's, it is Ufasa. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's Goheen talk, is what it is. Let me <laughs> no, tell you. No. But as I was going through the list on Spotify of, so I put in Whiskey in the Jar because I was looking for the Dubliners version of it. And obviously, the, du- the Dubliners version from the 1960s, which they recorded and put on three separate albums. Um, I was going through the list and I saw like Metallica and I was like I did not know this obviously knew the Thin Lizzy version that's the one I would be most familiar with and then I kept scrolling and I saw Pulp I was like what and then I scrolled down a little bit further and I saw Brian Adams and I was like excuse me and then it just kept going on and on and I was just with each artist that I saw flummoxed by how also piss poor each uh, version was apart from the Dubliners and the Metallica and version yeah no, I agree oh the Metallica one is dreadful Go, it's it's one it's wonderful <laughs> I'm the um, only person who thinks but obviously so the history a brief kind of insight into the history of the song is that the song is about uh, an Irish highwayman named Patrick Fleming who was executed around 1650 um, he uh, robs from the military or a government official and then is betrayed by a woman uh, whether she's his wife or sweetheart across versions it's kind of it changes and um, an Irish uh, song collector named Colm O'Loughlin described how his mother learned whiskey in the jar in Limerick in 1870 from a man named Buckley who came from Cork. Um, when O'Loughlin included the song in Irish street ballads, he wrote down the lyrics from memory as he had learned them from his mother. So this is a real kind of word of, word of mouth song um, that got passed down through generations, hence the kind of variations uh, in the lyrics depending on the version. And then historian Alan Lomax says songs of highwaymen attacking the agents of the crown were very popular with Irish and British peasants uh, where the gentlemen of the roads robbed English landlords. They were regarded as national patriots. Um, So yeah, I just kind of thought it's a great song. It's so well regarded and I think it's probably for international audiences if they were to think of a song about Ireland I think perhaps it would be the first one that they would list. Yeah, it's a belter and 
also, yeah. in fairness, in another great example as well of like like maybe the best cover of all time by Metallica. I mean, like it is that strong. I think you know the lightning bolt is there. Outdoing Thin Lizzy takes takes a lot, you know, a lot of gumption. But James and the boys, fair play. I'm glad you chose the Metallica version for this week's top five, Zara. Thank you so much. I did not choose the Metallica version. <laughs> Uh, hellacious top five Zara Hedman on the co-host beat thank you once again for joining us on the Encore you are no welcome thanks for having me always welcome great to have you back Craig will be back next week this episode of No Encore was edited by Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan and though he was slightly upstaged Woo! momentarily by young David Tapley this is Adam Shanahan's Never. turf how dare yeah. you Tapley patreon.com <laughs> slash No Encore if you'd like to help support the show my name is David William Hanready and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna close the show now by bidding you a a joyous St. Patrick's Day this year, next year, any other year. Take it away, Macklemore. England to New Brunswick, Galway to Dublin, a rebellious nation of freckle-faced hustlers, heart, blue-collared workers and family, my heritage, proud to be a Haggerty. Now, with whiskey in our veins, claiming we're the bravest men, I drank old crow, but pretended it was Jameson. Dad sipped to Guinness, I sipped old English Till he sat me down at 16 and said, boy, this is what a beer is I put down a drink, I couldn't drink like a gentleman That doesn't mean I can't make a drink with song for the rest of them Challenge us in football, yeah we might lose But don't put us next to a bar stool We take the history, script it in song Light the torch, then you pass it on that's right. I said lineage through the rhythm. We script it from the palm and we give it till Ireland is on. Bottoms we on. Put our glass to the sky and lift up and live tonight. Cause you can't take it with ya. So raise a pipe for the people that are with us and live tonight. Cause you can't take it with ya. We put our glass to the sky and lift up and live tonight. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. This is for Bush Gardens Williamsburg. Spot titled BGW slash 21 slash census slash SN slash July 4th slash save up to 40% slash FC slash tickets slash radio. It's a 30-second spot, and the code is VBGW021039R. Nothing ignites your senses like the European adventures and world-class thrills of Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Hear the gravity-defying drops and speed of our record-breaking coasters. See the world's most beautiful theme park as you stroll through our elegantly themed villages and treat all your senses to the live concerts, nightly fireworks and coasters in the dark at summer nights. June 25th to July 29th. Save up to 40% on tickets and fun cards. Hurry, offer in soon. Restrictions apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.